newborn celebration. Happy Father's Day. If you forgot, take note, you need to call your dad. Um, for those of you living the dad life, we have something special for you all today. We want to make sure the fathers here know that we appreciate what you're doing for your family. And so right over here by the information table near the offering, there's this white basket full of these brown bags. And there's, there's one for all of you. If you're a dad, snatch one. If you got a dad, snatch one. So with that taken care of, good morning. Glad to be with y'all again this morning. We, um, uh, once again, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jeremy Hall. I am the youth pastor here at Celebration. Our pastor, David, and usual preacher, isn't here this week. He is in Las Vegas with his wife, Donna. I know it sounds like a party. But um, they're out there working with a church playing organization that is interested in supporting us as we continue in what we're doing as celebration. So this is a really exciting time to be here and to be a part of what we're doing. If you don't know this, we're going to be wrapping up services here at the school pretty quick. And in the fall, we will be starting up celebration again at the Rave Motion Picture Theater over at the Galleria. So it's a really exciting time to be on board with what celebration is doing. So be praying for us and be praying for David and Donna as they go through the evaluation process out in Vegas. Um, being Father's Day, I was really excited. I didn't, I didn't plan this, by the way. But we're talking about the father in, um, in the prodigal son these two weeks. And I'm excited that it landed like this. So there's like, it looks like I planned something really cool, but I didn't. But what we've been looking at is we are in Luke chapter 15. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's gained some notoriety, something of a celebrity. Folks know who he is, and they want to see him. They want to see this famed preacher. He's growing in popularity and notoriety. He's controversial, and he heals people with no down payment. So everybody likes Jesus. And so when he teaches, folks know where he is, and they go there to hear him. And so this is one of the sections where he is giving a sermon and folks know where he's going to be. So there is a crowd that is amassed. And as is usual for Jesus, the front rows are occupied by the super sinners, the ones in the community that the people know as the sinners. Those are the bad kids. And so they're occupying the front rows and the religious people, of course, see this and they say to Jesus, Jesus, why are the best seats given to these sinful people when there's folks like us here who deserve the front row. And so Jesus responds through a series of parables. Something I love about Jesus is when people try to trap him in big questions like this one, he responds in a weird and imaginative way. So we get to dive into the imagination of Jesus through this parable. So if you all throw this up, this is Luke chapter 15 starting... At verse 11, there was once a man, a rich man, who had two sons. One day, the younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate, which is shocking. In this culture, it is a capital offense to dishonor your father. And this young man just walked up to his dad and said, Dad, I hate you, and I wish you were dead. Give me the money that's coming to me at your funeral. And shockingly, the father divides the estate and cuts the son a check 
for the value of half of his net worth. Not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had and left. He leaves the family farm. He leaves the estate and his life behind to start a new one in a distant country. And there he squanders his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. The rain stops coming, the food stops growing, and the bottom falls out of the economy. Everyone's in trouble, but he, living off of his dad's check, finds himself in serious need, having never worked in this country, having lived only off of his daddy's money. He has no idea what to do, and he's in serious need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And this is another major detail. There's a Jewish phrase from this period of time that goes something like, accursed is anyone who tends swine. It's understood that you don't do this. For the Jew, the pig is an unclean animal. You don't eat it, you don't touch it, you don't feed it, you don't pet it. I know they're cute. Um, But you don't do this. If you do this, you catch its uncleanliness and you become ritually unclean. So this young man has, in essence, ruined his family, ravaged his body in wild living, destroyed his inheritance. He squandered. The word actually is an agricultural word. It means like the same thing as to sow. He's taken his money and just thrown it everywhere he goes. He's squandered his prosperity, ruined his family, ravaged his body, and now he's even poisoned his soul. And he's at the point where he is so broken and so hungry that he craves the slop, the garbage, and the dried, unedible pods that he's feeding to the pigs. But he can't even afford that. And he has a revelation. And he says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here... I am starving to death, feeding pigs. So he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And so this is a long journey back and the whole time, He's repeating this. He's practicing his, uh, his speech that he's going to give his dad when he gets home. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Just give me something to do and give me some food. But while he was still a long way off, his father, who's looking for him, sees him. And when he sees him, he's so filled with love and compassion for his son that he runs out of the house and embraces his son while he's still blocks away. He sprints down and finds his boy and hugs him and kisses him. And the young man starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against God in heaven, and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him here. He doesn't let him finish, because this confession of his sin is enough for him to welcome the son home. And the father stops him, and he says to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast 
and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead but is alive again. He was lost but is found. And here the son who must have been shocked because he believes that he's ruined all of this, that that life is gone and he could never have it again because it's so far beneath him. He's so far gone that he could never come home. But the father tells a new story about him and the father says, you can be my son again. You are welcome to come home. And so the son has to choose whose story is he going to believe. Is he going to believe what he says about himself, that he's broken and useless and can never be loved? Or is he going to believe what the father says, where the father tells the story of reconciliation, saying, you are my son and you can come home and have this again. And so we see in the last slide that he does accept that and they began to celebrate. He goes in and the party starts. And this is a kicking party. When it says fat and calf, understand that this is a big old cow. They have a ton of food. This is meant to be a big party. Everyone in town is invited. And so this party is roaring. And this is where we stopped last week. But it's not the end of the parable. As we keep going, we remember that there's an older brother, the one who has stayed with the father. Meanwhile, this older son was in the field working. And when he comes home from his day in the field, he comes close to the house and he hears music and he's dancing and he sees the lights. And so he calls one of the servants over and he says, what is going on? What is this? And the servant tells him, probably excited, your brother's home. He's alive and he's back and your dad has killed the calf. Everyone is here. The whole town is back to celebrate that your brother is alive and a member of the family again. And the brother is furious. He is so angry that he refuses to go into the party. He won't go in there. And so the father gets word of this and comes out to try to get his oldest son to come back in. And he begs him, come inside. But the young elder son says, look it. All of these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even say his brother's name, who has squandered your prosperity with prostitutes come home, you kill the fan calf for him. Whoa. That's a lot said in a few words. You get the feeling that this emotion has been here for a while, and it's only now coming out, but each of these words has been carefully sharpened to do the most damage, as it said. And it's an interesting statement because these things he's saying about his father that he's accusing him of being unfair, he's accusing him of being cheap. You never even gave me a small goat so I could have a dinner party. But most importantly, he thinks his father is a slave driver. I've been slaving for you all these years and never disobeyed your orders. He thinks that his value in the family is based on the work he's done for his father, who to him is this malevolent slave driver, this oppressive worker who expects so much from the son that if he stops working for a moment, he could lose the love of his father. And we hear this and we we understand that the father is the God character in this Jesus story. And we start to think, well, I don't believe that about God. I don't think that's how it is, but um, 
a lot of times we do. We have this hidden inside of us. We have this emotion, this idea, this notion. It's hidden in us. Just this past week, it was Tuesday of this week, I was sitting out on the quad at Samford um, talking with my friend. We'll call him uh, Evan the Evangelical. And um, Evan and I are sitting and we're talking about basketball and school and a little bit of church stuff and how terrible the calf is during the summer. They don't even try. It's just awful. Um, when another one of my friends, we'll call him Harry, walks up and sits down with us and starts talking about his new shoes and how much better they are than mine and all sorts of strange things I don't care about. But um, Harry and I, you see, have a really odd relationship. Harry um, fancies himself something of a drug dealer. He uh, makes most of his money selling pot to people, mostly on campus. And we've become friends over the past semester because he's, I'm the only person he talks to who isn't interested in using him for something. And so he comes over and he's talking to me, and most of our conversations go something like this. Hey, Jeremy, what's up? I'm not much, Harry. How are you doing? I'm good. Want some weed? No, I'm good. Want some Jesus? No, I'm good. So that's how our relationship has been for the past couple months, and it continues like this. So Harry comes and he sits down, and we go through the usual stuff, and he says, Hey, there's a, there's a party tonight. You should come. It'd be a lot of fun, no? Tell him, well, I've already got some plans with some friends. I can't blow them off. I haven't seen them in a while. And he's like, fine. But tomorrow night, I've got an extra ticket to the Fish concert in Atlanta. You should come. You can have the ticket. I won't charge you for it. We'll get back on time for class the next day. It'll be great. I tell him, man, that's Wednesday. You know I do the church thing on Wednesday. And then he says it. He says, dang, brother. You really got the short end of the stick on this Jesus thing, didn't you? And with that, he gets up and leaves, and Evan looks over at me and says, well, he may be having fun now, but we're going to heaven. And we laughed, but it's been eating at me, and I like couldn't get that out of my head, that there's something wrong about that. Is that all Jesus has to offer us? Is this ticket to some time later when life will be good, and right now we just have to sit back and watch everyone else have a good life while we work and earn this heaven that's coming later. And I don't think so. Because what are the words that um, Jesus puts in the Father's mouth, in the God character's mouth, when the Son says, you've been a slave driver, I've never disobeyed,